0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cadaver Companions. This is one of your hosts Erin just here to introduce the episode. I was unable to be there to record it but Eloise did a great job with our guest Dr. Bishop and this is the episode a lot of you guys have been waiting for. We're going to be covering your most commonly asked questions about anatomy. We're talking about everything from how the course works to what kind of questions are asked on the exam even down to our biggest tips and tricks on how to study and succeed in anatomy. And to do this, Eloise will introduce him properly, but we thought who better to have to answer these questions than Dr. Bishop, your other co-block director for AH AHE?
1: Okay, so now we have Dr. Keith Bishop, who is just an incredibly funny professor in person. (laughs) Um, I was definitely so stressed in the anatomy lab, but he was there to keep me calm. I know there were several times he wasn't even scheduled to be there, but he'd walk in the lab and just, there'd be ten of us running around like uh, chickens without a head and he'd say, hey, relax and answer only about 50 million questions per person. Um, but I'm so glad that we got, you guys get to hear him speak and answer your frequently um, asked questions so that you can get those answers before you start the school year. Welcome Dr. Bishop.
2: Thank you. <laughs> what an honor to uh, be asked to give some advice, I hope I have something valuable to say.
1: Yeah, Thank you. Okay, so the first question we have is what question should we keep in mind as we learn anatomy to better solidify it in our minds?
2: So I think that's a great lead-off question because um, in my mind anatomy is the basis for all medicine. All medicine. You know, regardless of what specialty or what patient care you're interacting with, anything. It all boils down to the human body, what's gone awry, what's wrong, but you need to know the normal before you need to know the myriad of abnormalities. And and my boss, um, Dr. Jones, who you'll meet uh, many times, she has an interesting way of saying, uh, frequently she'll say it, that when you go to a professional conference, you know, and, and it's an auditorium full of people the speakers will get up and say, you know, they may be giving a talk on cancer or something like that. It's almost every time they'll say, Well, let's get started with the anatomy of this question. Yeah. So it's it's a, a steep learning curve to get it all, but what you'll need to realize is that in some instances what we're teaching is a mile wide and an inch deep, then when you get further into your training, what you're going to be learning is an inch wide and a mile deep. So you need to have that first basis before any of it else makes sense.
1: Yeah, I don't think I could have put that better. Um, I don't see how a medical school could start without doing the anatomy block because so much of your units are referenced in knowing where the thing is and knowing how it works. Um, and so I couldn't have put that better. Thank you so
2: much. And, and you know, I, I'm stupid if I don't know that a lot of the stuff that you're going to be hitting yourself over the head with, oh, I can't remember this, I can't remember this, that you'll get through the block, and then a lot of that will just go away. <laughs> but then, you know, two years later, let's say when you're doing, uh, you're prepping to go on your OB clerkship, suddenly now you're gonna look back at your notes and you're gonna say, oh, that's what the round ligament of the uterus is for or you know so it'll come back.
1: Yeah even when we're doing our blocks, um, it comes back the most recent one I can remember is kidney and I was like, I saw this and I got to see like the different parts and it's a lot easier to overlay the new information you're learning when you've already seen whatever organ that you're um, learning about
2: yeah and and let me just throw in again is that some of the most, um eager anatomy students are clinicians that have been out doing clinic stuff for years and years and then when you give them an opportunity to come back in the lab and peek down inside the body again they're all over it because <laughs> unless they're a surgeon it's not something you see yeah no and so they want to bring that back yeah to the basics
1: i definitely miss the lab um <laughs> But the next one is, what is the overall timeline of the AHE block?
2: So we'll start, uh, you'll do P3 week. I couldn't tell you the dates, but um, I think it's like the last week in July, first week in August, something yeah, like July that. Yeah, July 31st. I mean. So we'll peek our head in to the Friday of that week and do a little intro block. And then in the afternoon, uh, we'll do kind of the orientation in the lab where well, you'll come through and pick up your gloves and, you know, and, and, and make your stake on a locker and stuff like that. And then on Monday we really get busy. And, and the train is going really fast <laughs> the second it leaves the station. So you know, your old days of undergrad that you got a week of orientation and then you'll start. It, it is not the case. It's like first day, hi, welcome to medical school, and here we go. Would you concur?
1: Oh, absolutely. I didn't even feel like it was a train. I felt like it was like some futuristic spaceship that just took off and I was trying to hold on for dear life. (laughs) It was so much content. And like you said, in undergrad we come from a place where like really that first week is you know basic stuff, like um, very, very slow, but here it's like we're learning on day one and you're gonna do like about, I wanna say two weeks of undergrad in like the first Day, I,
2: I, I cannot, I could not understand why an undergrad anatomy and physiology course takes an entire semester. No,
1: I definitely understand. <laughs> I love that pace a lot more, but um, no, you learn it here. So, so to,
2: to finish the question, finish the answer is that we'll start that first week in August and we go pretty much for 10 straight weeks, uh, exams every three weeks, and I think the date that's on my head that will wrapped up is like October 12th. I mean those are posted dates, you can find those.
1: Yes, yes. And then they finish up with an NBME of all the content, right? Correct, correct.
2: So don't get sick the last week of class because there's unit three exam and then we give you three or four prep days and then there's a custom NBME which will the, the faculty will choose the content of the NBME um, but that will be 145 questions or something like that from, from the start to the end, including the embryology and the histology.
1: Okay. Thank you. Now, this next one is really important. This is one that I struggled with because I bounced around a lot and that wasted a lot of time, unfortunately, but how useful are textbooks and other mandatory resources? Because I had a bunch of ms Two telling me, oh, third-party resources and all this stuff, um, but what is your opinion on that?
2: Well, I mean, you might be asking the wrong person on this okay. because <laughs> um, I'm sitting here in my office with textbooks all around me, and <laughs> I am i admit that I'm kind of the old school. I Fully expect to never see a student carrying a textbook, and I understand that. Um, we are making available to you a link through LWW that will give you access to the ebook version of all of our books that are put out by LWW. But the good thing about that is that they realize what um, learners are are using now, and associated with that content are um, lots and lots of questions and the the beauty of these questions is that they come directly from the Moore's textbook and and it will give you the page number it will give you immediately what information it came from as well as the rationales so I really hope that the students will embrace that Um, we looked at usage last year and it was either somebody did three questions or over a thousand. So, and everything in between. Um, Some students really like the questioning coming straight from the textbook. Um, You know, we say mandatory, but we say mandatory while we're winking, because, (laughs) you know, medical students are gonna use what resources they like. Um, And you know that anything that we're saying is mandatory is going to be directly related to the content. If there's any arguments about a structure or the way it's written, we'll always go back to the textbook and that will be the the end of the discussion.
1: Okay. And um, following that, how well do you think third party resources translate to material taught in lecture?
2: Well, since we do not write the third party, material we can't guarantee that it's it's directly connected if if their resources are reviewed it should be pretty close um, you know third-party resources are really good at helping you um, make associations but and and maybe some recall you know recall might be important for an exam but recall is not critically or is not good for you when you're you know, in the emergency room or in the operating room and things aren't going to plan and you have to think back to your sketchy diagram to remember something or what was the mnemonic for the muscles of the whatever um, so it's it's a matter of deep learning versus recall learning so I won't say anything more on that um, <laughs> because students have their opinion of what's important
1: yeah so just again if we're if they're taking an exam or something and a third party resource gave them one answer but the mandatory resources gave them another you guys would reference the mandatory resources oh yeah. Okay. yeah I just wanted to make that clear okay so you went to lecture you did the you know the didactic work in the textbooks and stuff and now you're in the anatomy lab um, so what are the what do you think are some of the best ways to maximize learning when you're in the anatomy lab?
2: Well, to maximize learning is preparation, you know. I'm not kidding myself (laughs) to know that that doesn't happen very often, but we post the dissector. The dissector is step-by-step, everything you have to go through, and even if you do the bold print method to start with, of just recognizing the names, and then as we're going through it and you're there it'll make more sense but the last thing you want to do is while you're in the lab have a structure that you're going to be responsible for in the next three or four hours and that's the first time you've ever heard that term you don't know what its relationship is to to anything else you don't know you know where it's going to be where it's going to be found all that kind of stuff so i think in prep if you really want to be prepped, I would go through the dissector, and then maybe watch the pre-lab video that's posted um, that the TAs have made either this year or previously.
1: Yeah. Okay. So they're going to be getting this podcast before they start. So if you could just describe the dissector a little bit, just so they understand.
2: Okay. So um, the what it is. there's a, a dissector with both images and without images. So the dissector with images just has a superficial image of a body that has say the skin has been removed exposing the superficial muscles and then it'll be like step one reflect the latissimus laterally and and hopefully there's enough people around you uh, TAs or faculty to help you with each step Um, the dissector with images also has uh, one of the TAs in a previous year went through and drew all the structures and and had all the things uh, vessels are one color nerves are another color and and all of that just to make it as easy as possible. Yes. Okay. Do you and concur?
1: I do. I do. Um, I definitely use all those resources, and then again, the dissector helps you if it's a. Um, if you're reading and then the video is really good to layer on top of that um, because our bodies are gonna look different but they do work on one cadaver and they show you exactly how to do it so I completely recommend using those both and so you're really talking about preview right now so how would you say to review the content effectively?
2: Um, that's a great question and and everybody does this just a little bit differently uh, I think when I was learning anatomy the first time through I would before a class or before a lab, I would be familiar with the structures, then I would expose myself, and then I would try to make make connections. So I, I think a, a thing that is unique to deep learners who really understand it is to be able to say, uh, what's commonality between a, a bunch of structures? Like if, if I were to say, um, talk to me about the, the group of rotator cuff muscles. And then it's, okay, it's one thing to be able to list them off, boom, 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 I've got an Anki deck for that. But then if I say, okay, who are those, what of those muscles have the same function but a different innervation? Or a different innervation and the same function? You know, you know whatever it might be is taking things and what is their commonality? Um, which of the following muscles actually attach onto the humerus versus which of these attach onto the scapula
1: yeah that's, so that's, that can
2: be lists and cross-referencing back and forth or whatever
1: yeah because um if i recall the exams correctly you'll get a few where it's just like okay straight memorization but a lot of it is um the way dr bishop talked about you need to understand that if one muscle isn't functioning in rotator cuff um, for example what wouldn't they be able to do and um, things like that. So thank you So for- a lot
2: of the questions are, uh, I think there's something on the list about uh, primary, secondary, and, and third order questions. Mm-hmm. And, and early on, you're going to have great success with the first order question. What is this? Uh, second order is um, like a pin on a muscle and the question would be about function or innervation or something like that. And then a third order question in an introductory course is really tough because you don't know enough to make that evaluation between two structures or something like that. So uh, the vast majority of, of what you'll get will be first and second order questions. Um, you know, we're hoping that you're learning it well enough that you can answer a second order question. But, you know, we understand, you know, early on uh, to the first order or really kind of where the introduction is.
1: Thank you so much. So you've seen a lot of students and um, you've been able to talk to some. I know you, I would tell you about my study schedule and you'd be like, "Um, that's not conducive to like life and stuff. But in all these students that you've been able to talk to, how would you, um, how would you decide to make a daily study schedule if you were a student?
2: Well, I would still take time for yourself. um, Whether that is, you know, uh, you need time with your significant other or a dog or whatever, but you know, to be, do something physical every day. Um, I would do bursts of studying, you know, maybe an hour and a half or two hours at a time and then go for a walk or, you know, uh, whatever is that is going to bring you joy. Um, but I would certainly say you need to get sleep. Um, you know, students that try to do frequent all-nighters it usually ends up with a bad outcome. Mm-hmm. They just get too fatigued, and then you get sick, and then something else happens, and and you, like I say, that train is going. And if you step off, you know, oh, I'm gonna go to Dallas this weekend for a whatever concert, and you leave on Friday and get back Sunday or Monday, and then it's like you're two weeks behind.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so in that the daily study schedule, as a professor, when you notice like how panicked people are, and then they kind of start slowing down and settling into their groove, how long would you say it takes for a student to find um, their study schedule, or that you notice like okay they are looking like, you know they're figuring out how to do this on their own.
2: Wow, well, if I could answer that, it would be the that would be the golden <laughs> question that would solve so many people's problems. Um, you know, give yourself a few days in the first week to see if you can do some recall. Uh, do those formative questions that might be on the, the Lippincott website or some other third-party reference or, you know, I, I just like to go into the lab and play Stump the Dummy with my lab partners and and just quiz 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 and when you're doing quizzing each other in the lab do it with some speed component to it. So you're not just, you know, what is this and spend the next five minutes deciding it because, you know, it's a timed exam, you have one minute per station. So you gotta get used to coming up with things quickly. But give yourself a couple of days to uh, get adjusted to that. But if by the second week, you're really feeling like you can't recall or whatever, uh, you know, don't even wait that long, come and talk to us. Talk to the TAs. The TAs have all been through it. Um, if you're fortunate to have a GMEs student on your tank, this is their third time through it, so they can give you all kinds of advice. Um, you know. Sure.
1: Yeah. Um, I really want to reiterate um, how Dr. Bishop said going to talk to your professors. I had a lot of friends that I would tell them, yeah, Dr. Bishop said this, or Dr. Schneider said that, or Dr. Carr showed me this, and they were like, you talk to them? And I'm like, yeah, because they're there, you know, they're people, and they're here to help you. So please reach out if you feel lost or you haven't found your groove and it's, you know, exam week or something. Don't wait that long. Please reach out to a professor, a TA, or just someone else in class um, so that you can get get going because those exams those days are set you know whether or not you've um, found your groove or
2: not yeah and and we're in the lab yeah (laughs) nearly every day we're in the lab and you know if we come to your tank and I think we just like asking questions you know just to assess some understanding and and if what we're asking like you've never heard it before just grab us and and ask for some advice, or saying, "What am I doing? Or what should I be doing? Or whatever." But nobody's going to fault you for asking questions.
1: Yeah, they're all they're all really great. Um, especially when you have you'll have um, abnormalities in your cadaver as well, and you'll be standing there for like twenty minutes, like, "Why can't I find it? Or why is it over here?" And just call someone over, and they'll be sure to help. So you talked about a lot of strategies, um, and in all of these, I wanted you to just briefly address the practice exams. Um, both of them um, because I think this question says what are your best strategies and resources to remember all of the information you're presented with and you talked about those questions in the textbooks but how are the practice exams really different from those and, and how do they
2: help? So we, um, we have created um, unit 1, unit 2, unit 3 exams are faculty written questions and so the real tests are questions that we rotate in and out every year, every couple of years, and they're established as good questions. So we will retire a question and put it in a practice test or we'll test a question in the practice test and see how it does. So the the breakdown of the practice exam as closely mirrors the real exam as humanly possible. So if there's, three questions on lung on the real test. We'll do everything we can to have three questions on lung on the practice test. So do the practice tests, take them seriously um, for the written and the practical. The practical is maybe a little bit easier because we have pictures of models and, and things like that. Um, but uh, Mr. Hewittson, Anthony Hewitson, he and the TAs will put together a practice practical a day or two before the exam. And I frankly think their questions sometimes are a little tough.
1: Yeah, they make the practice usually a little bit harder than the real thing.
2: So, so t- take, the written pra- or take the written practice test. Don't wait t- till the night before the exam. So take it, um, you know, maybe the week of the real exam. Take it seriously. See how you do. Look at all the rationales. And if you see, okay, I'm missing all the vascular questions, I'm missing all the embryo questions, whatever, that should give you somewhere to go to, you know, do some extra time or whatever. But they are intended for learning, not for assessment. Yes, Does that makes sense.
1: Yes. And just to reiterate that point, I know a lot of you are coming straight out of undergrad or doing different things and I know when I would do that I would wait to the last minute to do the practice exam really quickly just to be like, "You know what? I'm I'm pretty sure I know this. Let me just take it." I really strongly recommend following what Dr. Bishop said, which is taking it a week before because there's absolutely no point in taking it a night before or 2 days before because you don't have time to see where you're lacking, I think. And if
2: you take it two nights before and you get a 65, now you've (laughs) freaked yourself out that you're like, I'm doomed, I'm doomed. Um, So you can take each practice test twice and just do it. And when we advise with students who unfortunately get that first C that they've ever gotten in their whole life and they are feeling like the world is coming to an end, and we'll ask them, well, what was your study like? You know, what were you doing? And they might have had a good study plan. And then we say, well, how'd you do on the practice test? Oh, I didn't do it. Well, hello. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's preparing you for the real test. Well, they're like, well, I didn't think that I would know enough. Well, that's fine. Just do it a week ahead of time and see how you do, and then maybe take it again two days before, three days before, and see. You know, did I go from a 59% to a 79% or, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this is the first time you're going to see how the questions are asked because you can have all the knowledge but not understand how it's asked and that could, could uh, lead you astray. So And, really, and we, we have
2: a, a quiz not every Friday but most Fridays. Um, it's only open for a short time on Fridays and it's a, you know, it's a graded thing. There's a percentage of your grade that is from those. And we've heard from student focus groups to make those a little more rigorous than what, you know, what they were in the past. So it's always easier to make questions a little more rigorous, but what we're doing this year that we've not done before is we've given you the rationales for those.
1: Really? Okay. I would have loved those. Um, I'm jealous of you guys now. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay so you talked about study materials, you talked about patterns and all of that and how the anatomy lab works and in all of this what are things that past students wish they knew or would have done differently in hindsight? I know you talked about um, GMS students and then um, people who unfortunately have to repeat so what would you say is the biggest some of the biggest things that they've said?
2: Um, I unfortunately am on a committee uh, called the SPPCC committee which is something like student performance and I don't know what it all stands for. But we're basically the the committee that students go to who have had a problem and maybe it'll be decided by that committee they need to repeat or something like that. So a common theme that I hear when people come to that committee is, and not just in anatomy, but all blocks, is that they change from what they have done before in studying because somebody told them oh they're big or they're you know they're you know their cousin that's a third year or you know somebody told them oh don't use the notes from the faculty just use uworld questions or you know just use firecracker or, or you know here's 10000 anki deck cards and if you don't get through them all you're going to fail you know don't change from one resource to another mid-ship you know mid you know course you keep changing things then you've got time to to get used to that and start learning from them Um, but i don't want you to stick with something if you get a 52 on the first test Um, you know we have to do something different and whether that's time management or the way that you're studying or who you're studying with, let me make a point of that, is that it is unfortunate that people will choose their study buddies by who they really like and not who is going to help them. So, you know, some study groups, there's always gonna be some person who thinks they know everything and they wanna hear themselves talk and they wanna hear how smart they are, that's not who you need to be with. You need to be with somebody that can support you, push you, help you to learn better. Um, So just be wise with your study groups and don't take offense if someone leaves your group and goes to someone else because it just may be the way their brain works. And you know, I never studied with more than one or two people ever, ever, ever. Yeah. So what else were we asking about?
1: Yeah, no, that's great. Um, okay. I, I wanna make a point to that. Don't lock yourself into a study group like he said. Um, you guys are all one big study group. You know, I never went into lab and I was like, I'm alone because there was always someone else in the class. Don't be afraid to tr- sit with different people because you'll find what fits for you. I know I had a lot of trouble when I wasn't in lab or something um, like talking during studying because like I, my brain goes here and there and I found a study group that would like allow me to do that and would join me and that wasn't conducive to me and then I went to another study group where they were like okay we're gonna do time sections like 45 minutes no one talking and then 15 minutes break and stuff like that so really try out whatever works for you and um, don't be afraid to reach out to your classmates because everyone should be here to help each other
2: yeah uh, start out with your dissection tank yeah. or if you had some friends from you know your undergrad or that you've worked with or something like that that you know them personally that's a good place to start, but it may not be where you end.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much. You're incredibly busy. You heard he's in, you know, committees, and I just got him from a um, a meeting. So he was incredibly busy, and he made time to come talk to you guys. So thank you so much, Dr. Bishop.
2: My pleasure. I really your but time. let me let me make my last statement that we really, the faculty, really, really want you to do well. Don't. You know, don't take our teasings or our anything <laughs> for anything other than to lighten up the moment. You know, because we know you're stressed out, you've got, you know, what you think is an endless list of structures you need to learn. And, and you know, enjoy the time. I can't tell you how many second year and third year students I see and they're like, oh, anatomy was the funnest course we've had or blah, blah, blah. and so enjoy it you know use the things that you're learning knowing that there always has to be a clinical approach to it you know we wouldn't have you learn about the patella if somebody doesn't fracture a patella in your practice you know is that high yield well, it doesn't matter because people fracture patellas and that you'll need to know that and know what it's associated with so Great. That's that.
0: Thank you so much.
2: We'll see you soon. <laughs>
0: Thanks. All right, you guys. That wraps up our episode on the most commonly asked questions in AHE. We hope that you learned a lot and that any questions you had were answered. But of course, if you have more questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Reach out to one of us. You can reach out to your block directors. You can reach out to faculty. Reach out to your TAs. There's a ton of people who are there to help you, so do not just let yourself get isolated, all right? So that right now is our last episode of the Cadaver Companions. There may or may not be a bonus episode on mental wellness coming out. We feel like we did cover it with some of our former TAs who had excellent excellent advice on mental health. So be sure to listen to those episodes with the TAs because they give their spiels and it's absolutely incredible. But for now, this is Erin and Eloise signing off. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey and we hope that you guys are going to succeed in anatomy. We know you will.